Awesome. So the rest of us, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is in, is teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Last week of his life, he's on the Mount of Olives. He's teaching them about a second coming. Jesus is coming back. Just want everybody to know that Jesus is coming back. And if you've been following along, Jesus has been giving his disciples several signs in the first several verses um, of what he calls in verse eight, the beginning of birth pains. He calls these signs, the beginning of birth pains. And what Jesus seems to indicate is that although these signs would be happening in the disciples day and they're happening in ours and increasingly so until he returns, what it seems to be indicating is that one day in the future, and actually it is indicating this suddenly and without warning, these signs will come upon the world with such great intensity in not only intense in intensity and, but an unparalleled severity to them and frequency. And this will keep on going in a time called the tribulation, the last seven years before Jesus Christ returns. You can read about that in revelation chapter six through 16, but basically 19. And so verses three through seven here, Jesus gives us signs that will precede his coming. Jesus says that there will be many false Christs in verses three through seven. He says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. He says that nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. There'll be famines. Luke says pestilence and earthquakes in various places. Gives us those set of signs. And then in verses 9 through 12, Jesus also says that there will be persecution and a great falling away and apostasy and many false prophets and, increased, and, and an increase of lawlessness and lovelessness. And so lawlessness and lovelessness will be a sign as well. Jesus says because of lawlessness, the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. We talked about that last week. And so Jesus is painting a picture with all these signs of not only what believers will experience between his first and second coming to an increasing degree, but also preparing believers who are going to be on the earth during the tribulation period to an ex to expect an unparalleled global volatility as his return is coming. So Jesus is just painting with a broad brush. He says, this is going to be the way of things. It's going to be increasingly so, but when the tribulation comes and those believers who are alive there at that time and remain, man, it is going to be absolutely unparalleled. And he wants us to be ready. He wants us to be warned. And that's why Jesus says in verse 13, look at verse 13. What does he say? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We don't like to hear those verses. This is another aspect of our our salvation that the Lord has. So we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. We put our faith in him. We're being saved. We're being sanctified, right? We're being saved from the power of sin. But what Jesus is also saying, part of our salvation is that we don't stop believing the, the faith that God gives us is a belief that continues to believe through whatever like his, right? It says those who believe to the end will be saved. In other words, it's not saying that you're saved because you persevered. It's saying the proof that you're saved is your perseverance. That's a big, that's you want to make sure you're not getting the cart in front of the horse or whatever it is. So what he's saying is that, Man, hard times are going to come, but believers believe. 
all the way to the end, no matter what it is, no matter it's us or whether it's the tribulation saints, believers believe to what end? Well, to your end, (laughs) whatever that is to my end, till he either calls us all up or he comes and gets us, you know, we die or he, he returns, whatever it is. We believe our eye is on the prize. It's on him. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And we read revelation every single, in every single letter to the churches in revelation, those seven churches at the end of each one, he says to the one who overcomes 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 to the one who overcomes. Is that six? Is that five? To the one who overcomes, maybe one more for good luck to the one who overcomes, right? He, what, what do you think Jesus is saying? To the one who overcomes well, the same thing he's saying here, the one who endures to the end. And then he says, after each one of those to the one who overcomes, he then explains some aspect of their salvation that they will inherit. They will receive. I will give to you. I will show you, you will. And he lays those out for us. But then he also says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Well, who are the ones who overcome the ones that are his, the ones that know his voice, the one that follow him through thick and thin. That's who we are. That's the church. Amen. And so verse 14 then gives us the disciples another sign in, in that verse that will proceed his coming. And this is where we left off basically in verse 14, where Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. And so we've got false Christ. We've got false prophets, wars, rumors of wars. All those things are going to be happening, but he zeroes in and says, listen, for the first time he says, and then the end will come. What does he say? Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come again. The disciples are asking if you're following along in verse three, what are they asking? Hey, when is the destruction of the temple going to happen? They want to know that. And and what's the sign? Well, when you're going to, when are you going to come and what's the sign of the end of the age? They want to know when it's all going to wrap up. When are you going to take the throne? They don't understand the gap of time between then and now, but they want to know what's the sign. Well, Jesus says, guess what? The gospel will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. What does that mean? When will the sign happen? When will the gospel be preached to the entire world? What's Jesus talking about? Well, the book of revelation gives us the answer. And much of the book of revelation is describing the judgments of God upon the earth during that last seven year period, the tribulation, the judgments of God are in three groups of seven, three groups of seven, you've got seven seals, seven trumpets and seven bowls or vials. And these judgments from God get progressively worse as you go through each set of seven. They get progressively worse as you go through the tribulation. Well, right before the last set of seven, right before the bold judgments, you're right up to the end there. You have in, in revelation 14, six, part of the last trumpet, uh, uh, a judgment. It says, then I saw another uh, revelation 14, six. It says, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. 
That's interesting. And he said with a loud voice, he's proclaiming this fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment is come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. There's a lot of context there, but this angel proclaims the everlasting gospel to the world. He will call the world to fear God in the midst of judgment. He will call the world to repentance. And what I see is a pattern that's happening over and over and over and over that while there are earthquakes, there's going to be one earthquake. While there are wars, there's going to ultimately be one more. While we're called to proclaim the gospel, there's ultimately going to be one giant gospel that's proclaimed. It's all fun. While there are false Christs and false prophets, there's going to be one false Christ, one false prophet. It's all funneling down. World history is funneling down to the, the climax, the, 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 the massiveness of each one of those things is going to happen in this last seven year period. And so too with the proclamation of the gospel, Listen, just because this is the event where no one's going to be without excuse. Everybody's going to hear it in their own language. The whole world will know. And it says that they're still going to reject it. They're going to be without excuse. Nevertheless, remember what Jesus says? Well, you don't remember because we haven't been there yet, but you do remember because you've read your Bibles. Matthew 28. Next year when we get there. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Matthew 28. Jesus gathers his disciples at the end. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey. He, he tells them, go into all the world. The Mark's gospel 16, I think it says, go and preach the gospel to every creature, right? Uh, the, the, the command for the church was to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to do this exact thing. And actually, if you reverse engineer it to Genesis, you go all the way back to the beginning and this is not in my notes, but I see the pattern. You see that Adam and Eve were created to go and be fruitful, fruitful and multiply. And they were to have dominion over the whole earth. What do you think that was just to be ruling over the whole earth? No, it was to, it was to give a proclamation of his kingdom and his way of thing over all creation, his rule. And that's kind of what we were created for, for him. And now as you move along towards the end, that's going to actually happen in the return of Jesus Christ, the second Adam, where he's actually going to fulfill that. So, you know, that's kind of a little bit neither here nor there, but there's coming a time when the gospel will be proclaimed. It's to be proclaimed by us. If you're a Christian, you are commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ to be a part of the proclamation of the gospel. That is our mission. It's to love and obey Jesus Christ, right? And that brings glory to God. Well, what does he tell us to do? Go make disciples. And so we are to be about that. Well, when do we stop doing that? When we're done (laughs) until he returns, right? We keep going. We're part of that. We pray for it. We, uh, we evangelize toward it. We live towards it. We proclaim it with our mouths, with our, our treasure, time and talents. We, We are invested in our lives in the kingdom of God in his proclamation, pointing people to his son. And we know that in the tribulation period, there'll be 144,000 Jews who are sealed. And we know pretty much we can imply that they're going to be about proclaiming the gospel. And we know that there'll be two, uh, there'll be two, what are they called? Two witnesses, right? They're going to be proclaiming the gospel and the world's going to kill all of them. Nevertheless, 
at the end of that whole time, at the end of the tribulation, there'll be an angel that finally says, listen, this is the end. Turn now. He's coming. Basically turn and actually worship the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who created the water and the springs. And by the way, it's going to be bad because all that stuff's going to go away. The water and the springs, the fishies and all that stuff. It's gone. But so while it's, while this is talking about that, Jesus is talking about that future day. That doesn't mean that we don't proclaim it because it's going to happen. We are part of that. It's a progressive thing. And so as we pick up in verse 15, and by the way, these signs will be, uh, there's coming a time that will be like no other, the tribulation, the day of the Lord, a time of God's wrath on the earth. And there will be signs that will be undeniable that will let the world know of his return. There'll be things that are just beyond. And this is one of them, an angel proclaiming the gospel supernaturally there. But before that, but before the very end of when Christ comes back, when that angel proclaims that before that, there's going to be some other things that happen right at the halfway point of the tribulation. The tribulation is divided into two major sections, the first three and a half years and the last three and a half years. And one of those signs that's going to happen right in the middle after the proclamation of the gospel is going to bring about what is called the great tribulation, the second half of the tribulation, which is far worse than the first. The first is bad. Second's worse. Second half is worse. And that's what we read about here in verse 15. I'm going to read the whole section 15 through 22 in case I don't get through it. I can say we did. And so, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand then let those who are Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop no go, not go down and take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on Sabbath. Why? For then there will be great tribulation such has not has been from the beginning of the world until now no and will never be and if those days had not been cut short no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect those days will be cut short the great tribulation is what jesus has in view here when he's speaking and the great tribulation is described he describes it in verse 21 he says it's a time that such has not uh, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and will never be. Think of all the horrific things that have happened on earth. Just even in the last hundred, 150 years, nothing like it. Hiroshima, nothing like it. World war one, world war two. That's our recent experience. Vietnam, all these types of things have nothing like it. Don't be nothing like it before it or since this is the worst. It's a time of God's wrath upon the earth as his judgment is poured out upon the earth. One after the other, he's pouring out his judgment successively, each one worse than the next. Like labor pains until the birth of the return of Jesus Christ and his kingdom on earth. That's what's happening. And this great tribulation is triggered by the abomination of desolations in verse 15. 
That's the, the triggering event to it. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by uh, the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand because all those people listening to this are dead and gone. They're, in, they're with the Lord now. When Jesus was speaking to the disciples, this is a future event. That's why they're saying, let the reader understand. And so the abomination of desolation or the abomination that causes desolation, <clears throat> that's important. This abomination will cause a desolation on the earth. It causes God to launch his final salvo of wrath upon the earth. His full in full force. Jesus says that there was a prof prophecy. It was prophesied by Daniel, the prophet, by the way, if you ever wonder why the tribulation is seven years long, well, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel gives Daniel the answer to that back in Daniel chapter nine, specifically verses 24 through 27. You're going to have to just buckle up your seatbelts with me for a minute. Okay. Cause we're, we're going down the rabbit trail. It's going to be fun, uh, but I'm not going to get too in depth here, but this is what, the, the angel Gabriel says to Daniel, listen, Daniel's been in exile for 70 years. He was a young man. Remember the beginning of Daniel? He was a young man when he was taken by the, the Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. And they've all been there. The Jews are in Babylon for 70 years. Jerusalem's in ruins. And because Jeremiah said that it would be 70 years, the prophet Jeremiah at the time, he's calculating. He says, we're at the end of this. And he begins to pray about it. What's when are we going to go back into the land? When's the temple going to be built and all these things. And, and what God does through that is open up Daniel to not only the near fulfillment of them going back in through Zerubbabel and all this type of stuff, but actually the far fulfillment, the full end of Israel's history. That's what he's doing. He's opening their, his eyes to it. And he does it by saying to them in verse 24 of Daniel nine, <clears throat> he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people. That's the, that's the Jews and your holy city. That's Jerusalem. What, what about the 70 weeks to finish trans the transgression? In other words, there's a season of transgression. that's going to happen. It's going to be done at the end of the 70 weeks to put an end to sin. That's what will happen at the end of the 70 weeks and to atone for iniquity. That's what will be done at the end of the 70 weeks to bring in an everlasting righteousness. That's what will happen at the end of that 70s week, 70 weeks and to seal both vision and profit into an anoint a, mo a most holy place. There'll be a new temple with a new King on the throne at the end of that 70 weeks, the Messiah will come. That's the big picture there. 70 weeks. Now that can be kind of confusing. So Gabriel gives the divine timeline regarding the Jews. They have 70 weeks. Now a week, now you just follow along with me, you non-math people. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Woo. Unite. So I had to work hard at this. <laughs> okay. They're saying you have 70 weeks. We're like, well, 70 weeks. Well, a week here means a group of seven years. One week is seven years. So it's saying 70 times seven. I know we've heard that a lot, but it's seven years, 70 times. That's how long you have. In other words, you have 70 weeks left as, as a nation tell the, tell the final kingdoms established. That's what he's kind of saying. In other words, you have 490 years. But then what happens is Gabriel then goes on and I'm not going to go into all this in detail, but gives more details. And again, I'm simplifying this. He says that it will be 69 weeks. 
He says it's going to be 69, not 70. He says 483 years from the time that the command goes out to rebuild the temple. Remember they're in Babylon, their temple got destroyed. It's going to be 483 years from the time that there's a command for the temple to be rebuilt until the Messiah comes and then is cut off. And so what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the command to go back in to Israel. That's what their, their mindset is. We want to go back and build our temple so we can live our lives and worship God. Well, God has a bigger picture in mind. He's saying it's going to be 483 years from the time you get the command. Yeah. You're going to go build that temple. That'll happen. But this can be 483 years until the Messiah comes. In other words, 69 weeks. And guess what? When Artaxerxes, and I think it was a four, 445 BC, he gave the command for them to go ahead and build, rebuild their temple. They, and from that time that started kicking down 483 years, 69 weeks. And guess who came in to Jerusalem riding on a donkey on in 30 AD on the 10th of Nisan, 483 years later, guess who came strolling in the Messiah. And he goes on to say at the end of that, he will come, he will come and he will be cut off. He'll be killed. He was killed at the end of that week. Now we've got a problem because we've got one more week remaining. Where's the 70th year. Where's that last 70 year period. Hello tribulation. That's, that's what happened. So the, the Jews did not know. They're all thinking it's all one thing. It's going to happen. Right. But that's not what God's plan was. There's a pause in between. We know that from Luke when he was in, Jesus was standing before his own people and he spoke this prophecy out of Isaiah. And he talks about the the claiming the acceptable year of the Lord and all this stuff. And he stops in the middle of Isaiah's prophecy right before the wrath part happened. You see, there's a, there's a gap between his first and second coming. The first part was he came in on a donkey. He came on in on peace. The second time he's coming, he's coming on a war horse. You see, there's a gap in between this. The disciples didn't know, but here it was. You see that only 69 weeks or 483 years had happened. Gabriel said there were 70. And so there's that last 70, that seven year period. And verse 24 of Daniel says, finish. It says that it will, at the end of that uh, time, it will finish at the end of the 70th year. It will finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. That's what's the purpose of the 70, 70th years to accomplish. And so there's that one more seven year period. And it's interesting in verse 26, if you look down at verse 26, that when the Messiah is cut off, Gabriel says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. What's he talking about there? He's saying, listen, the Messiah is going to be cut off. And what's going to happen to Jerusalem? Listen, the thing you rebuild, the people of the prince to come is going to come and destroy that temple, that holy place. He's going to level it. And this is what Jesus prophesied at the beginning of all this. Not one stone will be left on another. And what happened? The people of the prince to come, the Romans came in in 70 AD and they wiped it out just as Daniel prophesied, just as Jesus said would happen. Well, who is the prince to come? It's the antichrist who we know rises up out of the old revived Roman empire. And again, you can see how deep and crazy we can go on this. 
I went very deep and in depth on this when we went through Daniel a couple years ago in the gym. I'm not going to do that right now, but Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He had a dream of all the nations of human history and the head was of gold. That was Babylon. And then the Persians came in, which was the chest of bronze. And that was, that was um, Artaxerxes and his group or Darius and all them. They came in. And then after them, it was the Greeks came in and you had the stomach and then you had legs of iron. Those were the Romans. And then it all the way down to these 10 toes that were mixed with iron and clay. What was that? Well, that's the reunified that kingdom of Rome from which 10, 10 nations will arise and one ruler will come up. And then revelation and Daniel both get into this. The antichrist is going to come out of that. And what Daniel's prophecy prophecy goes in to say is that then a stone whose hands who've who, uh, a stone that was created not by human hands comes out and crushes that whole thing. And a mountain comes up and his kingdom is established. In other words, Christ is going to come and destroy that final ruler and set up his kingdom. That's what all this is talking about. So the Messiah is cut off in a future ruler, their future Prince, the people of the future Prince is going to, come and rule. And so I find it interesting when I look at the European union union, and I look at all these countries and all these things, I'm not getting weird. This is what the Bible says. I'm watching and I'm looking. I'm not saying this is the antichrist. Don't go there. Don't, don't, don't start going, you know, Biden or Trump and all these people stop it. Just wait. He's going to rise. He's not going to, he's going to be extremely charismatic. He's going to be liked. He's going to be deceptive. He's going to have a sweet tongue on him. There's going to be a lot of things going on there, but he will rise up out of that time. And so that is the antichrist. And then Gabriel describes the future leaders rise to influence in verse 27 of Daniel. How does the antichrist rise? And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. What's a week? Seven years. He's going to make a seven year covenant. I find it interesting. What were the David accords between Jews, Jesus, uh, not Jesus between uh, the Jews and the Palestinians and all that stuff. It was back in the day, camp David accords. It was back in the day. It was, it, there's a framework set up. There's a seven year treaty that was set up. There's already a framework in place for what is an acceptable kind of treaty time. And, and so anyways, what we see is that that last seven year peace treaty, the Antichrist will, will arise on the scene. By the way, he is the white horse of the four horses of the apocalypse, a false peace. And he comes in and he has the power to bring peace to the Middle East. You got to have someone super charismatic and super powerful to be able to do that. Well, the Antichrist is going to be empowered by Satan himself He's going to be possessed by Satan himself. And so there will be peace in the middle East. There will be peace in the middle East. And it'll be for a, a seven year treaty that's set up. Um, imagine all that. And there's a lot more there. Daniel nine 27 goes on to say that kind of stuff, but and for half of that week, it says in Daniel nine 27, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. In other words, at the halfway point, He's going to tell the, the nation of Israel, you can no longer make your sacrifice. He's going to put an end to their sacrifices. Now, what does that tell you? There has to be an Israel at that point. There has to be a temple. So whatever this peace deal is, 
There has to be a temple in Jerusalem. Well, what's on the Mount, the Temple Mount right now? The Aksala Mosque. Do you think they're good to just pop a temple up there? So whatever this is, there's going to have to be a massive thing. And I know there's people out there saying, well, it could be over here and there. Listen, whatever it is, there's going to be a massive influenced influencer. Don't use it in the modern term. Someone is going to influence them towards peace. And it'll be a false peace because in the middle of that, he's going to stop the sacrifices. And by the way, that Jewish temple right now, there are people who have all the instruments, all the things ready for it. They even march the cornerstone around Jerusalem every year, waiting for this opportunity to happen. It's ready. The priesthood, all those things. And halfway at the halfway point, he is going to stop the sacrifice and do something abominable that will cause desolation in the entire world until the decree is in is ended. Gabriel says it's poured out on, and it's poured out on the desolator. Now, Real quickly, I know you're tracking with me just fine right now. There was a prototype. There was a pre-Antichrist in between Daniel and the opening of the New Testament. A guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. I won't get into all that. Go to the, the, the uh, study in, uh, in Daniel. But Antiochus, what he did is he came in and he made a false piece or whatever it was. And he sacrificed a pig, an unclean animal in on the altar of in the holy place. And that was described here in uh, verse 32, I think of chapter 11, it says he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand Though for some days they shall be stumbled by the sword and flame by captivity and plunder. And when they stumble, they shall receive little help and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made white until the time of the end for it still awaits the appointed time. And so the near fulfillment of this was Antiochus Epiphanes around 200 BC. I'm just throwing it in there who is a prototype of the antichrist to come. But what is anticipated is that the final ruler of men, the final antichrist, the beast, he's going to do the same. But instead of offering a pig in the Holy of Holies, he's going to do something far more abominable. Paul gives us insight into what that is in second Thessalonians chapter two, one through five, second Thessalonians two, one through five. It says now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and our being gathered together with him. We ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or his spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. There were false teachers out there and they were saying, Hey, Jesus already came back. He's already back. And we've got those today, right? There were false teachers telling them Jesus already come back. Well, bosses, bosses, don't worry about that because some things have to happen. Verse three, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless two things happen. One first is the rebellion comes first, the apostasy, the falling away. That's one. And secondly, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Who's the man of lawlessness? The antichrist. He gets introduced at the very beginning of 
officially at the beginning of what is the tribulation. He's on the white horse. And it says, and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the son of destruction. They call him. He's a man possessed and empowered by Satan. Remember the reason that Lucifer was kicked out of heaven was because he desired to ascend to God's throne. That's his motive. He desires worship. That's what he does. And that's why it's our temptation, not towards humility, but towards self exaltation. That's the way the world works. It's a self exalting world because it's under the power and the sway of the wicked one. Read Ephesians chapter two. That's the whole flow of the world. But Jesus who is the highest became the least. That's the way of the King. And here he, Satan possesses this one final ruler, the man who will ascend to world dominance and power. But what will he, but then the thing that he will be after is exactly what Satan is after because they are one in the same. It's like a false Trinity. But Paul describes him in what he will do in verse four. Look at what he does in second Thessalonians chapter two, verse four. He says of the antichrist, he will, he, he is he who opposes, he will oppose he, it, the antichrist opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. In other words, he in sacrifices, he tells everybody you can't worship anything in anywhere. And then what does he do so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. It's not the pig that sacrificed It's the ultimate uncleanness, Satan incarnate in a person standing in the Holy of Holies, declaring himself to be God. That's the abomination that causes desolation. That move when man takes his throne in God's place, ultimately, and God says, your rule is done. And he pours out what we see at the end of revelation, just absolute hell on earth. And when this happens, Jesus says in verse 24, verse 15 says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet staying in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And notice this is going to be happening in Jerusalem. Remember, this is going to happen in Jerusalem. So Judea, Judea is the area around Jerusalem. And he's going to make war with the saints. He's going to begin to kill the Jews. Remember, some of them are going to be given over to flattery. Some of them are going to capitulate, but many will not. In verse 17, he speaks more of the urgency. He says, let the one who is on the housetop not go down and take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back for his cloak. Can't stop. You got to get out of town. It's going to get real bad. Flee to the hills. Alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, being pregnant slows you down. Nursing infants slow you down. He's just saying it's going to be pitiful for those people on those days. And again, this is focusing, I believe, on the Jews. There's a Jewish context here as that last 70th week is once again focused on Israel. But verse 20 says, pray that your flight not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Why? For then will be such great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now and no will ever be. Listen, I don't think we understand how bad it is going to get when Jesus is just saying, oh, there'll be false Christ. There'll be earthquakes. There'll be famines. We go, okay, yeah, we've, we have a context of that. Remember, it's funneling down to the greatest of all these things. In the seal judgments, the first of the three sets of seven judgments, 
going that way. During the first half of the tribulation, one fourth of the earth population dies from hunger and war. One fourth of the population of the earth's population dies from hunger and war. Revelation six, one through eight, one describes this in the trumpet judgments. And I'm just giving you a quick section, the trumpet judgments, which are the second group of judgments, revelation eight, two through 11, 19 revelation eight, two through 11, 19 are the trumpet judgments. This is probably happening during the great tribulation says one third of the vegetation is gone. An asteroid kills one third of the sea life. One third of our drinking water is poisoned by a falling star. Uh, Yeah. And also kills many the sun, the moon, the stars are darkened by one third fallen angels that have been bound in chains are released and they kill one third of mankind. Again, that's on top of the one quarter. It just starts to get apocalyptic as this unveils. And then during the final bowl judgments, uh, boils are on everyone and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, Everyone who took the mark of the beast Everyone who took the mark of the beast, uh, the sea is turned to blood and all marine, all marine life dies and fresh water turns to blood. Sun scorches everyone who refuses to repent. People are gnawing their tongues in pain. The Euphrates dries up and the armies of the world gather at Armageddon. It is absolute total. Anything you've ever understood, it's just worse than all of it. And then an earthquake happens that levels every single Island, every single mountain, all the cities of the earth are in rubble. And Jesus says in verse 25, Matthew 24, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. God is going to absolutely crush the world in its rebellion. And it will be to such a degree that all life would end unless he cuts it short. And he does, but why would God cut it short? But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. It's for those who are his. He cuts. Those are the ones he shows mercy to those whom he chose before the foundations of the world. Believers who persevere in faith through all of that. Listen, I I think our theology has to to wake up to this. God allows his people to suffer. And I am anticipating and hoping for the rapture. But if my theology says that I'm not going to experience hardship in this life, if I'm not going to experience things that are going to be difficult, then I've got a wrong view of things. Right? But he ends it all with his glorious return. And when the world is falling apart and when all this stuff is going on during this time, people are going to be looking for answers and they don't want to hear it from God. They want to hear what they want to hear. They're going to, even after the first part of the judgments, they're going to be the one they're going to be living in caves. They're going to be coming out. And they're going to be saying they're going to be cursing God, asking the rocks would fall on them. They want to die already. And there's more time to come. They're going to be looking for answers. And Jesus says in verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or there he is. Don't believe it. 
for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. This is what will be going on. So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect listen, it's going to be so deceptive, so empowered by the enemy, whatever this is that believers are going to be going, Whoa, what is this? But it's impossible for believers to be deceived because my sheep hears voice, right? Amen. But the world's going to be going after this. Listen, there's like all this UAV talk stuff going around. I have no idea what all this stuff is. I have no idea. I have no, no idea. You guys know exactly. You guys figured that out yet? I don't know, but I know this. Whatever's happening, if it causes me to turn away from God and believe another, it's false whether it's real or not, there's going to be a merging of the supernatural with the natural. As we get closer to the end demonic. It says false Christ. Verse 24 and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders as to lead many astray, If possible, even the elect see that I've told you beforehand, I told you what's going to happen beforehand. I want you to know, isn't that good? So if they say to you, look here, he's in the wilderness. Don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms. Don't believe it. Don't listen to all the here's Jesus. This is the truth. That's the truth. This is where he has come over here to the secret place. And all this nonsense again, demonically empowered deception is on, is going to be on the rise and it will culminate in, in, although there are false Christs and false prophets, it will culminate in the false Christ, the false prophet. There's even, there's even things that lead to believe that there is a, that the false Christ does a, some kind of deceptive resurrection thing. And so how will believers in Christ know when Christ returns with so many things going on, this is a question I ask. I want to know. I don't want to simply say, ah, well, I'm raptured. I don't need to worry about that. No, I want to know because Jesus is writing it down. I want to know his plan. Amen. So how do we know? How will we not be deceived when all these things are just so like they're in front of us? How do you know? with all the false prophets and all the things they're going to be doing and validating the beast. And how will the return of Jesus be distinguished? Verse 27. Well, for as lightning comes from the East and shines as far as the West. So will be the coming of the son of man. Do you guys see the lightning storm the other night? Unmistakable. It's something clear as day all the way across the sky. He says, that's what my return is going to be like. You know, it's happening. There'll be an undoubtable way. It's not that lightning will be happening, but this just as he left, he'll be coming. There'll be a supernatural coming of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get into that. And he, and he gives us a little analogy of it in verse 28. Not only is it like lightning, he says, this is wherever the corpses, the vultures were gathered. In other words, when you see a bunch of buzzards around a dead body, you know, there's a dead body. In other words, it's obvious. That's the point of it. His return will be unmistakable and inimitable. inimitable. That's a word I want to learn. And 
all will see, all will know this way. And, and we will pick up in verse 29 next week, but a preview for you ladies immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then will appear in heaven, the sign of the son of man. And then all the tribes, of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will ascend out of his angels with a loud trumpet call. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I love what Luke's account says he inserts right at this point, Luke 21, 21, one of my favorite verses. It says now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption, your redemption draws near. Amen. He's coming. He's going to set things straight. Today is the day that our hearts would be set straight before him. Amen. Cause he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he's coming and he is the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world, for our great rebellion against him, his blood covered all of it, all of it for those who believe. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Lord God, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. But also Lord, have mercy on all the people, Lord, that we come in contact, those multitudes walking downtown who don't know you. Make us see beyond our own weakness. Help us to look into your eyes and, and for you to give us the strength and the boldness to be those lights for this time that you've put us in. Maybe like Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And here we are mostly a bunch of Gentiles and your power has reached us. I pray we wouldn't be greedy with that, but we would give it away as you've given your life away. So Lord, come quickly, set things straight in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. If you, if you have questions on this stuff, I want you to ask. Don't go internet searching. <laughs> Amen. All right. God bless you.